Climate Justice, Y'all, a podcast dedicated to lifting up and centering the climate and environmental justice movement in the South. Despite the South being the most biodiverse, diverse, and one of the largest economic engines in the world, we are underfunded and often barred from the decision-making table. Because of that, we decided to pull up a chair and amplify the stories of communities in the South that are hit the hardest by the climate crisis. We're using good old-fashioned storytelling to shine a spotlight on these Southern leaders from all walks of life, putting in their blood, sweat, and tears to transform the region. The usage of y'all in the title is on purpose. We are honoring our Southern heritage of creativity, resilience, and ingenuity. Climate justice, y'all. It's real, it's here, and it's about time. Y'all hear what we have to say. Perfect, yay. Okay, great. Well, hey, y'all. Um, Hey, listeners, y'all are going to be thrilled about who we brought today, um, because honestly, this is something you can do in your backyard. And I'm really excited for y'all to hear about it. So Cicada Calling Farm, could y'all introduce yourselves, who y'all are, what is this farm, why'd y'all start it, how'd you get passionate? I'm just throwing all the questions at you, but tell us, just tell us about yourself. Great. Uh, Hi, I'm Bex and I'm Sierra. And we uh, co-own together Cicada Calling Farm in Independence, Louisiana, which is an hour away from New Orleans and Baton Rouge. Yeah, we're a two-acre diversified vegetable and cut flower farm. Um, so we two acres seems like a lot, but compared to a lot of farms, that's pretty small. Um, and we grow everything from melons to greens to garlic to hot peppers. We grow a lot of hot peppers. Um, yeah, we grow like a lot of flowers too, probably half and half. Yeah, we, we feel like the flowers sort of support our veggie efforts. And um, yeah, we're in our second year farming, um, which is really exciting. So this is our second summer season. And yeah, it's, it's, it's great to be a farmer in the South. I like, I like that little clap. Yeah, it keeps it flat. Yeah, we're both, uh, Bex and I are both from Louisiana. Um, we had to leave for a little while to learn how to farm. And then, uh, yeah, we just came back in the past uh, five or six years um, to kind of start this adventure. And yeah, it's been, a, it's been a ride. It's been really exciting and did not know that we were gonna come back and start uh, a farm, but the opportunities kind of just fell into place. And uh, yeah, here we are. Yeah, Sierra and I met, um, through a friend who works in climate justice, who is like an anchor in the community. And when she introduced us, there was already a lot in common with within our like family settings and uh, that we're both from here, but we had to move away, like Sierra said, to go learn how to farm and study agriculture, not in Louisiana. Um, and then, yeah, when we got connected, started talking about farming, it was a mutual, Thing that we could see ourselves doing for the rest of our lives. Um, and so that, that really was a sweet moment that we figured out that who else would want to be this wild and do something so hard, <laughs> but here we are. Perfect. And I want to, I want to follow up and ask y'all, why did y'all start a farm? Cause obviously it's like every, well, I would say half of like at least my TikTok algorithm is going off like this. It seems like everybody wants to start a farm, but like, <laughs> you know what I mean? But why did y'all do it? And especially since farming is really, really hard work. Why, why did y'all start this? 
um, I feel like every farmer will tell you like before you, if you're like, hey, I've been thinking about starting a farm, they'll all be like, don't do it. <laughs> Only because it's just so, so hard. It takes a very special kind of person and yeah, mentality to accomplish this. Um, but anyway, I I'm really joking about that. Um, uh, yeah, we, when um, I went to school in uh, UMass, at UMass Amherst in Massachusetts for sustainable agriculture, um, I grew up gardening with my mom a lot and uh, we never we never had like a nice house, but my mom always found a way to transform whatever rental we had at the time, transform the garden into this beautiful like sanctuary. Um, and so that's something that kind of felt like home to me, like farming and gardening and going out to the backyard to pick flowers or carrots or whatever else. And I used to joke with me, like when you become a doctor, or get rich one day, you're going to buy me a farm. Um, and so um, when I came, when I went to school for ag, I never thought like, um, you know, I'm going to start a farm one day because there are so many barriers to getting into farming. And that's probably why there are so few farmers and so few farmers in the South. Um, but some some pieces aligned um, where I was approached about this land opportunity um, in Independence, the place we farm now, and um, the landowner wanted to lease uh, land to some young farmers and basically help young farmers get started because he grew up in the area uh, farming and um, basically was trying to save land from being turned into development and um, wanted it to be used uh, for farming and so. Um, when I when I was approached by that opportunity, I was like, who's crazy enough to actually want to do this with me? And sadly, there's not like a I couldn't really like think of a lot of people um, just because it's like I said, if there's so many barriers, there's like in the South uh, compared to like, so I went to school in the Northeast and, and Bex can tell you a little bit more about going to school in California, but there's farms everywhere, like small scale farms. But here there's very few and so there's very few opportunities to learn about farming and to, to get the experience required and necessary to start your own farm um yeah there's there's a lot of large-scale farms here but not a lot of farms doing um regenerative agriculture or organic agriculture um or community-based agriculture um and so when I when I thought I, I when I was given this opportunity I, I thought back to a conversation that Bex and I had had where Bex had just moved back home and was just kind of really expressing to, to me that like, it really sucks coming back home, like wanting to be in a place that you love and invest in and for the future, but there's so few opportunity here. And um, when Bex told me that, I just, I felt I resonate, that resonated with me because yeah, there are so few opportunities to farm. And I was like, well, the only other crazy person I know who'd be down to, <laughs> or I don't know, that, I think that was like that moment, like that connected us. And I just called Bex, I was like, you wanna do this? <laughs> That's kind of why or how we got started. But yeah, maybe you wanna talk about yeah. what brought you into farming? Sure, yeah. Um, so I I grew up in Baton Rouge and we, um, I, I grew up with my grandmother sort of being my mom and my dad. So she was like the cook, the, the handyman, the, you know, the, the soother, the, the, the person that nursed you back to health, everything. Um, she also just never cooked anything that wasn't Southern. Like we, we really never had like uh, a night where we would go out to eat uh, at like a Mexican restaurant or, um, you know, there, there was really just gumbo, red beans and rice, jambalaya, chicken and dumplings. So I, I didn't really grow up eating um, healthy per se. Um, 
I didn't have like an avocado or really eat a salad until I was like, I guess in my late teens, maybe like 18. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a, a weird journey with food when I was a kid. So when I moved to California for college, um, I did not think I was going to study anything near farming. That was not on my brain. I was doing fine arts. Um, but then I took one of those fun college classes called human geography. And my professor, um, who later bought a farm in Minnesota where I, I co-managed that farm um, called Good Courage Farm in Hutchinson, Minnesota. Um, she kind of recruited me and brought me into her office and said, you know, I, I see that you have a spark for agriculture and systems and like environmental racism. And I want you to really think about like, you know, that, that you have this perspective that you can kind of share and grow and maybe it'll give you some more purpose. Um, and you can still use art, like art isn't everything. So I, um, yeah, I decided to become a geography major, which entailed um, studying agriculture. But um, you don't, un unfortunately, don't really learn how to farm like we're farming. Um, that's something that you, I think that you have to teach yourself and we've taught ourselves every day. I mean, we learn every moment of the day. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been yeah, it's been sweet. I would say um, why the going back to the question, why did we start this farm? I would say like ideally, at least for me, and maybe you, you can say whether you feel so too. Um, like I ideally at this age, I would not have wanted to start my own farm. Like I would much have preferred to come home and be able to like train other other farm train it with other farms or work on, under other farms and, you know, build up to that moment. But um, there's so few opportunities for that here. Um, and there's so few safe spaces um, too, where like Bex and I can feel comfortable being ourselves and being who we are um, and, uh, and, and be safe, like practicing a form of agriculture that we believe in. And so, in a way, it did, for me at least, it didn't feel like a choice. I mean, everything's a choice, but it, re it really felt like a calling, it, like less like a choice and more like a calling, um, which is kind of one one reason we picked uh, the name Cicada Calling. Um, farming felt like a coming home to us. Um, and, and yeah, so we can talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, and some of the other questions. Yeah, and I, first of all, y'all may not have eaten good or healthy, but y'all ate some good. Oh. <laughs> um, I remember moving to California and being like, wow, that's a lot of green in this dish. What <laughs> stuff? Ooh, there's no butter in it. What? I literally relate so deeply because my, that's the kind of food I grew up on personally. And so, yeah, but anyway, I'm going to pass this to Marisha because I know she's literally on the edge of her seat and I have questions, but I'll pass it to Marisha. Literally, Abby, you know me so well. But well, first, I want to congratulate you all on your two years like that. That's a lot, as you all know, or as you all have stated, that's a lot of hard work, dedication, passion, blood, sweat and tears put into pretty much starting your own baby, if you will. Um, what are some of the things that y'all are doing to combat climate change? What are in like in y'all methods? What are what are some of the problems y'all are addressing that comes with climate change? Like something like food sovereignty or are there are there any problems that you all are addressing in your community? Yeah, I, I would say that um, you can spend all the time reading books or, you know, going to school, taking classes to learn about agriculture, but 
until you're out into the like in the fields and like um observing your client your like your little ecosystem and, and really learning how to farm with your climate that's where like the real like magic or whatever that, that's where you really learn how to farm um and i would say uh we have a really intense climate just in general even beyond beyond climate change um when i was like, growing up people would always say we have like a 12-month growing season so like you know in other states like where places get cold you have like six months or eight months or something like that and then you have a down period but because we are so warm all the times of the year you can really grow pretty much although the climate is changing that um 12 months out of the year um and we've like that in itself brings its own challenges like the heat um and the intense rain we're basically in the tropics being in southeast louisiana and so we get so so much rain i mean not just like rain i'm talking about like torrential downpour you want to run inside and like lock all your door you know i don't know like just in so much rain and so um that in itself is already challenging um over the past couple of years the climate has been uh shifting in a lot of unpredictable ways we have more frequent hurricanes that go later into our season so generally we would see hurricanes from i don't know like june what is the start date is it may or june something like that yeah, okay. to like uh august would be like the height the like peak of uh, hurricane season which for us is our down season because it's so freaking hot and rains so much but now hurricane season is kind of going later into the fall and so um two years or two or three years ago we experienced hurricane ida um we weren't farming at that time we were about to start farming which i'm really glad we didn't um but it was in the fall the hurricane hit in the fall and totally destroyed a ton of uh, farms like fall transplants and so um you know that's kind of like a, a big issue that we're currently experiencing is um like hurricanes are not only disrupting our ability to plant crops but also disrupting our communities um because you know obviously if we can't you know if people can't even get to the city or there's not electricity there's you know there's no way to sell even if we had stuff so that's something that has always been a part of our lives like living here and now that we're farming is we're like way more aware of the weather um but i would say like the more frequency and the later into the season um it's not not really dependable to say like you can expect hurricanes this time anymore um and another like climate phenomena that we're having a lot of trouble in the past couple of years is a uh, tornado season that's been a huge issue and it feels scarier than hurricanes when you say yeah i mean we in our in our in our conversations when we're prepping for hurricane season we we can kind of have a plan we we can have people on call to help us take the greenhouse plastic off or help us pack up. Um, but with tornadoes, they're shifting much closer to where we are uh, and they're just more frequent and more powerful. Um, and that happens within a few hours. And so when, when we're thinking about long-term stability, I mean, that just throws a wrench in a lot of our plans um so we do have to kind of be on our feet all the time yeah i mean like the tornadoes the hurricanes you'll know like at least a week in advance 
And so like Beck said, we could have a plan of action, which no matter what, it sucks, you know, to potentially lose all your crops and things like that. But a tornado, like it could be literally minutes of you knowing that a tornado is coming. And that's what it was like all winter and spring, not all of spring, but like this year, it kind of felt like a lot of the tornadoes. And I'm talking about like every week, not just like, um, you know, once a month or something. It felt like every week. I remember getting home from work one day and it started raining and my mom like calls me really stressed saying like, Sierra, are you inside? Are you inside? I'm like, what? What are you talking about? She's like, you're in a tornado watch area. Like that's how, if you're not like on the news or like have like, you know, checking your phone or whatever, I was like, what the hell? And even in New Orleans, so tornadoes are like north of us, like North Louisiana, I would say like kind of like Arkansas, that whole area, that's more common. But even hurricanes coming into New Orleans, like we had some crazy hurricane, I mean, not, sorry, tornadoes uh, in the past two years that went in the same area, like dropped, like hit land in the middle of the city. I remember hiding in the closet last, uh, um, this, this year, just in the city. So that's something that we're also, uh, yeah, same, yeah, I'm sure you guys experienced that. Maybe y'all have more experience with that in Alabama, but for us, like, you know, we're mostly used to hurricanes now are like, shit, how can you prepare in a couple minutes, you know? And there's not really anything you can do to prepare for something like that. Um, it's just really scary. And, uh, um, some, some things that we think about, like when we think about like farming and climate change is just like how we, how can, how can we farm in a way that even though we're such a small part of like a bigger climate issue, like, you know, climate world, how can we make, you know, make our little ecosystem beneficial to like this bigger picture. And so we really try to focus on regenerative farming practices. Um, we do no-tills or minimal tillage. So we have to raise our bed to, for drainage because we have so much water every, all, all the time. Um, but we don't till our, like in the center of our beds and, um, and, and that just, the more you till, there's a whole soil community, just to break it down a little bit more, but, um, there's a whole community that lives like in the soil. Um, can you guys hear us? Yeah, no. And I love that you're going into this and we can relate deeply to the tornadoes. So y'all. Yes. I can't tell you how many times I've been caught in a tornado watch, whether it was in school, at home. And it's always been pretty frightening, especially because you could see the winds. You could like even the change in the weather. Usually it lets you know, like when you when you country, you know, the change in the weather, you know, the signs of of any storm that's pretty much coming in and into um into your community, I would say. Um, and y'all are, and I, I think y'all are wonderful people. I just want to put that out there. Y'all are wonderful. And I want to give you all y'all praises while y'all are here with us because the things that y'all are doing are, are very moving and it, and it, and it speaks to who y'all are while y'all do what y'all do. It, it's amazing. And I just want to thank y'all. Oh, thank you so much. That, that means a lot to hear. But now let's be nerds and hear about the soil. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like it's like the whole idea of like, uh, you know, how can how can you like have a pot like contribute positive energy to this situation? And so, um, you know, it's a small like what we're doing with the soil and how we're how we're planting is like a, such a small, obviously, piece of this bigger picture. But um, 
you know, we definitely believe that it's just as important. Um, and so, yeah, we do a lot of no doing, we don't do a lot of tilling, so they call it no till. And uh, yeah, basically there's a whole community of microbes and fungi and, you know, and worms and insects and all that good stuff, uh, roots and all that living stuff happening in the soil. And so every time you break heavy machinery and, and break all that up, you're destroying that ecosystem. And so a lot of those microbes and all those other beneficial things are helping convert nutrient um, nutrients that aren't available to the plants into something that are available to the plants. Um, and, you know, obviously, like, you know, worms are really beneficial. And every time you till, you destroy that whole community. And um, we don't want to take, we're already away so many nutrients and so much energy from the soil when we bring a piece of produce away from the farm, you know, onto your table. And so we really believe in feeding that soil, like feeding that soil back and not destroying it. Um, and so we don't till, we use a lot of cover crops, which is basically a, um, that you don't harvest. Um, there are specific ones that fix nitrogen or are beneficial in this way for the soil or, or that way. Um, and so we, and we grow those crops in our down seasons or in transitional season, transitional seasons to feed the soil and to give back to that soil. So that's another way that we, um, that we uh, are trying to shape the way or change the way that farmers are stewarding the land in a way that's more positive for our climate. Um, what, what else for climate change? Um, we source our seeds from Southern seed growers, um, which is really important to us when we're working with restaurants or we're working with our customers when they see something that's a little weird or they're not used to this kind of okra or this color melon or something like that we kind of have to educate people that not everything grows everywhere which is that's okay because we're not all learning this in school um so yeah it's just a great it's a great thing to support local seed growers and seed starters and we're also finally starting to save our own seed which is really important to us to sort of explore and kind of like be self-sufficient and close the loop on seeds because it can be one of the biggest costs of the entire season for us. Yeah. We can spend two to three thousand dollars on seeds, which is pretty wild. Yeah, and I, I would just uh, follow up with that and say that um, you know seed saving was such an essential part of our community of just communities in general um, and helping build the, the biodiversity of plants that we you know or that we that we have in our region and and that is we see that as one way. Like small, you know, obviously all these are small, but way that we can adapt to climate changes to grow varieties that are more, um, that are, you know, more adapted to our climate and can take the heat, can take the rain, um, and, and continue to build that, build that biodiversity. Um, yeah, so Bex, Bex mentioned we started saving our seeds, which is pretty exciting and we don't we, do a we lot. We also get seeds from other farmers. Like we have a, a really sweet, um, He's been farming for like so long, like decades. Um, he was doing a lot of flowers and then just with age, you know, flower, flower cuttings, uh, making bouquets, it can be really hard on your body, on your wrists. Um, so we started just doing sunflowers, but he, uh, the other market in Baton Rouge, he dropped off this little plastic Ziploc bag of fifth generation celosia seeds that he's been saving and his family's been saving and um, just, you know, like, hey, here's this, this seed that we've been preserving and that you can carry on and 
that was one of the most special times in the last two years, I think. It's just, it really is. It's kind of like uh, how women in the long history of humans have been like the secret keepers or like the the keepers of knowledge. And I think with seeds, I think that that's pretty similar. It's like when you're keeping your seeds and you're saving those varieties and you're noticing what works, you're keeping knowledge within the family. Um, I see Marisha's hands up, so I'm just going to pass it to her. So you all call yourself like a small scale farm. I want you all, can you all speak to what, one, what that is? Um, Two, what are like the disadvantages and even advantages in building and maintaining a small scale farm um, while trying to create sustainable living in, in your community? Yeah. And can I also add, I know when we say, y'all, when we prep these, uh, folks for the inter- for these uh, conversations and interviews. We're like, here are the questions. Um, here you go. There's only five. But then Marisha and I keep adding like 10 other questions in there. But um, so on top of why is small scale farming important? Like, what are the advantages and disadvantages? I want to know what normal folks, especially poor folks, especially folks that don't have time, like can they do something similar to this? Because I do want to point that even though y'all said that this is so small, um, I think it being small is kind of its strength a little bit because like it can be replicated and it's attainable for folks. And if you're honoring the ecosystem and loving your mother, include the mother being earth, um, and showing your love, I think that's a win no matter what. And I think people want to show their love the same way. So I just want to add that too. Like, are there, is there something, are small scale farms or anything like it attainable for folks? What are, are they, what are the advantages and disadvantages? Yeah, great, great questions. Wow. Um, so for us, a small scale farm is, um, I mean, there, there's a just, or a definition that you can find in the ag school, you know, it's less than so many acres. Um, but to us, it's producing a certain amount of crop that we are, um, we're able to just have it be a small team. We're keeping it uh, out of, I guess, like, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, we have we have one small tractor. We don't use a lot of machinery. But it's not a tractor that you sit on. It's like a it's called a BCS. It's an Italian tractor that just one person operates that you push and you can get different cool implements for it. But it's a it's like the perfect tractor for a few acres or you know, it does a lot. So for us that's that's important to have tools that fit our size. Um, so two acres, we have about I think we've we've had six uh, hundred by eighty foot uh, fields in production. Um, so I guess it, when you imagine a football field, you can sort of compare. Um, hopefully, by this year, we'll have all eight of them in production. Um, so yeah, so small scale, I think, is it's kind of relative to what what you're growing. So we're doing a lot of diverse crops. So instead of having one field of um, broccoli, we're doing two rows of broccoli in a field and maybe some arugula, kale, maybe we're doing cabbage. So it's really, 
we're not doing like massive fields of one crop because we're flipping beds. We're making sure that the soil is not getting drained of a certain like nutrition quality that one plant or one vegetable take from it. So it's a lot of planning um, and it can be, yeah, it can, it can be tricky to have a small scale farm. Um, Sometimes it's easier. I mean, that's why monocropping is, is such a unfortunate success is because it is easy to have a giant tractor to have seeds that you are chemically treated GMO quality in to just, you know, that they're going to produce. Um, and you know, they don't always produce, but, um, yeah, I'll just add to that too, that, um, like Beck said, we, 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 for the first year and a half, we're the only people working on our farm. So we did everything. And most of the things that we do, we don't do with machinery. We do by hand. And so that's another kind of like characteristic of us versus like a larger farm. Um, and it's hard. Like we spend, you know, at least eight hours, but more in the 10 to 15 hours a day, because there's just that much work to do. Um, and a lot of, now we have a part-time employee. We got an intern, we had got a grant through Sprout NOLA, which is an amazing like farmer support organization in New Orleans um, to hire on um, somebody uh, for three months. Um, and so that allowed us to get our first um, employee and intern. And, and now we have a, um, now we have another person so we have one extra person right now on our team who comes twice a week which is just like really awesome because not only are we able to like give other people like in louisiana or from louisiana experience on how to farm and show them that it's possible but you know we get to create another job for our community um but a lot of other bigger farms especially um even farms that people would consider small scale like who saw the farmers market um, use a lot of migrant labor. Um, that's a huge thing in the South. Um, and that's definitely not talked about enough in our community and just in farming in general, the amount of migrant labor that goes into even quote unquote small farms, um, who that are hundred acres and they consider themselves a small farm and compared to like 3000 acres, that is a small, you know, hundred acres is very small. Um, but I, we want to clarify that we're not, it's not a negative thing to have migrant labor obviously like it's important to provide opportunities it's just the way the program is run is not always there's a lot of uh loopholes there's a lot of gaps that don't have production so it doesn't it doesn't feel like there are there have been farms that i've visited in our area where like the people who come up for a season to work on these farms are like family, like they've been going coming out since they were teenagers or whatever, and now they have families and they come up every season. So there are situations where like there are beneficial relationships, but a lot of time um, it's it's very much like we're using you for this period of time, and a lot of times the farms don't even speak the language of the workers, and so um, yeah, there's just like a lot of there's a lot of things to talk about there. We don't have to. Like Beck said, it's not like always a negative thing, but a lot of farms in our community have labor that, you know, I think the system could definitely be designed better. And well, it kind of plays a part into pricing for us. So we, um, we usually base our pricing on what other farms are doing and then what we need to make in order to support ourselves and our farm, which is a lot of budgeting and a lot of number crunching. 
So when we talk to our customers at the farmer's market about why, why are our carrots uh, $5.50 pound? Why is our melon $6? Um, that can be, it can be a tricky conversation because what they're basing it off of is these farms that have migrant labor that aren't paying their employees high enough. And you know, it's, you don't make a lot of money in farming anyways, but there's that gap where it's just us two. And we're doing everything from starting the seed, from ordering the soil and starting the seed all the way up into post-harvest, which is getting it to the market. And in order for us to do that and to keep showing up and having diverse white crops and offering people this product and this community, we need to charge a certain price. And so that kind of plays into, you know, we, we do have to explain um, a little bit deeper as, as to why we charge a certain way. So. I would say that's one of those uh, those those uh, negatives <laughs> about um, farming is that you you do butt up against um, pricing and capitalism in, in general, and it can be um, oh, it can be exhausting. Yeah, especially like when we're just busting our asses out in the like fields in this hundred degree weather. Like we're out there. Like when there's like a heat wave for three weeks and a drought for like three months, we're still out there working. Um, and so like for when I think about like picking up a crate of cucumbers that we harvested in the field in the hundred degree weather and it's like 60 pounds, like, like I'm hurting my body doing this. Like, why would I ever charge $2 a pound or something like that? Like, it just, it just doesn't make sense. And a lot of the reasons why that price is so low is because the people, you know, like these bigger farms aren't the ones picking it, you know, they're not experiencing that, you know, so that's kind of like another aspects of it too is that it's just really really hard work and um you know like Beck said we're not trying to make it inaccessible or anything like that but you know we have to like also be like this is you know has to we have to make enough money to like buy more supplies and then also like you know feed ourselves and so um it, yeah well something i just want to point out <clears throat> is uh you know, we're talking about the pricing and everything. And I completely agree. Absolutely. Something that I think folks need to understand and realize is one, um, all fresh food is about to be expensive, no matter if they use um, harsh um, or if they mistreat their workers. Um, it's all going to be expensive. I mean, there's it's getting to the point, especially with climate change, that a lot of I mean, even the big, the big old farms are losing like 90% of their crops. And, you know, people are, are like, oh, you know, why is this orange cheese or why are these peaches $10? I'm like, girl, didn't you know that 90% of the peaches were gone? Yeah. And, and I just learned like this past weekend and we're filming this in July, but I just learned that my community who's um, home to a lot of small farms and large farms, um, most of their crops didn't grow this year. And that is a huge hit for the community I grew up in. And um, yeah, so I kind of just don't, when people talk about expensive, yes, obviously fresh food needs to be affordable for everyone. And we need to work to make that happen while also honoring the hard work of the people who made that food or helped steward that food. Let's be clear. The earth is making the food. The earth has done this for millions of years, but um, for the stewards of that food. So I just had to make that comment because, I mean, to me, this is why 
small scale farming is important. And this is why farms at the community level are important because when these systems fail, we need to have local folks in place doing this. So sorry to get out on my soapbox, but I, I'm getting off it now. <laughs> no, yeah, it's a great soapbox. Love it. Very yeah, good. Thank, you. thank you. But um, so what are, okay, what I'm hearing, I was hearing the disadvantages. Um, before we move on to the next question, what are, and I think this actually could tie to the next question because I want to know, one, is there a like, regional farm network that's doing things are y'all like working together on this because i mean it seems like on top of climate change on top of fighting for the land y'all have from like big companies taking it um from seed sharing even and stuff like that is there a network that exists is that important am i crazy for even saying that and also if y'all could explain a little bit more about the advantages of the work you do that'd be really great yeah, um, I can start off with advantages and then we can get more into our cute, beautiful little farming community here in Southeast Louisiana. Um, there, there are so many advantages. Uh, I know it, Sierra and I talk a lot about the hardships, um, the days where we just can't show up or it's hot and we're changing our shirt three times, but there, there are so many advantages. Um, I think one recently that's really come to light now that I hit our two year mark is just providing for our own families. Um, both of our families have, you know, gone through their fair share of um, difficulties like financially. And so we are able to drop off food to our family and kind of share that bounty with them um, and also our friends in, in our community. So it, it's pretty special to be able to uh, involve them in that process. And um, one thing that we've been really, really lucky to have is a really, oh my gosh, a, the strongest group of friends I think I've ever felt. Um, and they've helped us uh, shovel pathways in like a hundred degree weather or um, they've helped us um, oh my gosh build, build, everything. build a greenhouse build uh, put plastic on a greenhouse or um, plant tiny little sunflowers or there's just from start to finish I think we're we're just so set up with this loving caring community that believe in us and um and also we've just met so many people through our journey that we've um, helped inspire and that have inspired us. And it's kind of just like this mutual cycle of, of good that's happening. Um, and yeah, that kind of feeds into the farming community that we're a part of. Um, because climate change is so real and we're such on the front lines, uh, we have lost some farmers um, and it, it's really unfortunate whether that to, you know, climate change just being kind of financially unable to continue farming or um, exhaustion, burnout. Those are all really uh, real and realistic things that can happen. So um, we've met um, some really beautiful farmers through, through our experience. And um, we're definitely trying to uh, corral everyone together and kind of build a more, I would say, like 
yeah, collective. Um, it is hard because of the time limits that we have. Like we get home at like eight or nine um, and then we have to wake up at five. So it, it's a it's a difficult feat to sort of bring everyone together. But um, I think, yeah, we've, we've had some really cute farm hangs and every time we hang out with farmers or talk to farmers or text with farmers, we just feel so heard and understood. And that can be like, you know, Sierra and I have lots of friends who are farmers all around the countries. And um, it's we just always feel this camaraderie. Uh, and it, it is really important for us to continue those relationships. We, we learn so much from them. I think like uh, now that we've approaching like our two year mark and all that, I think we we're and we're feeling more comfortable with our systems and our business. We're definitely like really excited to host a lot more workshops and community gatherings at the farm um, just to help bring people together. Um, and like Beck said, we always like, if we don't know something, we have like a little text, we have like text group messages with other farmers in our region. And we're like, hey, how y'all do this? <laughs> what, uh, what cedar, what cedar sprocket are you using for the arugula this year? Or like, uh, how the hell y'all deal with these bugs? Like, yeah, you know, it's this bug. <laughs> like we all are just like gripe about that. Um, but yeah, that's something we're definitely looking forward to building more um, in our community. And just kind of going back, back when Beck said that our farm was really uh, built by our community. Uh, one thing that we did mention when we first started, um, we both for the first eight months um, worked other jobs full-time jobs and farmed on the weekend and commuted an hour. So we both lived in New Orleans and the farm's an hour away from New Orleans. So the first eight months we worked full-time and built the farm on the weekend and every weekend had a crew of friends coming up to help us, you know, and, and things that things that we didn't even know how to do. Like we had to build a walk-in cooler. I never knew how to do that. No, did I, you? And no. no yeah. And we did it together and we like, I'm not great with math, but then we had five people there, two, three people are carpenters and just kind of like pool all of your resources. And then we really learn from like, I feel like I'm like, and you probably feel the same way, like I know how to do so much carpentry now. Like, holy shit. Oh my gosh, plumbing, carpentry, uh, science. And, and that's industry. like really learning from other people. And, yeah. and whenever someone comes to our farm, like, you know, and if they're interested, like we're teaching them too, you know, like telling them about what we're doing and things that we're trying out. And so, um, yeah, I feel like our farm has really been built from the ground up with like from community members and also not only our friends, but like people we've never met before. Yeah. Like wanting yeah. to like come out and help. And that's really exciting to meet. We've met like such an amazing, like just keep on building that community. Yeah. And honestly, you know, it doesn't it, it doesn't surprise me that, of course, the answer we keep hearing over and over again um, throughout whoever we interview is um, we really have to focus on nurturing our relationships and our communities, skill sharing. Um, I'm hearing all of that. And so like that, that makes my heart thrilled. That makes my absolute that makes my heart absolutely thrilled. So thank you so much. Yeah, that's, it's, it's, I, I can understand why it's a common theme. Um, when you think about how much of the world is in upheaval and how anxiety and depression and, you know, mental health, it just, all of it is so rife within communities and especially in the South being like so entrenched in oil and gas and corrupt politicians and just climate change where we, we really need each other. 
uh, and we've really realized that we need each other. Um, we need to support um, people that are from Louisiana. We need to support people that are coming back to Louisiana. We need to support black and brown people. We need to like see through the the terrible stuff that is the politics here and just create an alternate system of self-sufficiency. And I think that we're getting there. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely say like, we talk, me and Bex talk about this a lot. Cause like growing up here, you're, and I'm sure other people in the South have the same experience. You're told like a lot of negative things about like Louisiana. Like uh, you're polluted and you know, you're not gonna exist in this many years and you're losing this much, you know, this much land every whatever minute or whatever. Like that's like engraved into our brains, like from when we're like little babies. And so like growing up in this world, like world of like negativity and loss and tragedy and all this stuff, it's like really like, no wonder why a lot of people leave. Like a lot of my friends growing up are like, I can't wait to get out of here. Like, cause there's no opportunity here if you don't go into like tourism or oil and gas. And that's like really like, that's a really sad thing to like feel and to like to feel growing up like your whole life. And so I feel like for us starting the farm is like changing that, like even the language around that, like instead of like, what are we losing? What can we gain? Like, what would it look like to have a prosperous life here? Like, what would it look like joyful life here and all this crazy stuff is happening in the world it's like happening in our climate and is like really real and like really hard and, and messed up and like we're definitely feeling that too but then it's like also like how can we like really sink our roots deep into this land and like continue like traditions that our ancestors have been like like the hurricanes existed like a thousand years ago or whatever it was like when our ancestors were here like that's not a new phenomenon and I think that just like trying to, yeah, just bring a more positive light to that. And instead of like telling kids you're losing like all this land, how can we teach them and tell them like how to like set your, like set your roots deep, how to plant seeds, like how to invest in our community. Um, not even just like on an ecological level, but like in our, like in people. Um, and so I think that's kind of why, you know, a big reason why we farm um, and helps us get through the hard days for sure. Wow, y'all are moving right into the next segment. <laughs> <laughs> y'all did it so smoothly. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> so, um, of course, with all the hard work we're going, we're putting into um, towards combating climate change and creating sustainable living and whatnot, 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 the list goes on. And especially with everything we do here in the South, just because uh, as residents of the South, we think it's the hardest and there's proof, there's there's data, there's everything to prove that it, it, it is one of the hardest things to combat here in the South. What gives y'all hope to keep going, to keep trying to, to do what we do in our everyday lives? What gives you hope? And also any final words y'all wanna put in, go ahead. Yeah, what gives us hope? Um that we're actually doing it. <laughs> like Sierra, Sierra opened with, there's a lot of people that will tell you that you can't farm here and that it's not possible. And you hear it from farmers. Uh, when Sierra and I first started and even before, um, I have a really dear friend, um, shout out to Tabisa in 
Portland. Um, she was my farm partner in Minnesota and she was like, don't, don't ever start a farm. I know you're, I know you're going back to Louisiana, but don't get any crazy ideas. Don't do it. Um, you know, a, a big warning. And we've gotten that from like elders here that, you know, it's, it's going to be hard and I don't know if you can do it and you might not want to grow this, that, and this. Um, but we're doing it and not to kind of like shove it in their face, but just like, Hey, no, that that's not exactly correct. Like this, this is possible. Um, and anyone can do it. Um, one of my favorite moments, which, which I, I love talking to people at the farmer's market about like, um, growing things. I think there's a really big misconception about whether people can grow things or not and whether you can have something in your own space. And one common thing is people will come up and say, well, I, I tried to do this, but I'm just terrible at growing something. I, I, I don't have a green thumb. I kill everything. And I guess it's, it's helpful for us to tell them like, we, we also do that. And you just can't, you can't give up like, and you can do it. And a green, a green thumb is not something that's real. It's it's about the desire and the passion and the like, the willingness to the fail, the hope, the hope. Like you, you know, you, this is this is kind of what it is. And once you finally do grow something and it's beautiful and you eat it and you taste it and you share it, that's that's kind of where that light comes from. And we we feel that a lot. Yeah, for sure. Um, I feel like a lot of our days, like when we wake up really early in the morning, it's like, I don't really want to do this. <laughs> we, we both get to the farm at like 6 a.m. We look at each other. We're like, nah, nah not today. Not today. Not today. <laughs> but um, then, then, you know, like the other, the other part of it is just like, I couldn't even imagine anything else I would be doing yeah. right now. Um, like we, we slice open a yellow melon and it's the color of a highlighter and it's the juiciest thing we've ever tasted. And then we go get to bring it to a farmer's market. And that person's like a yellow melon. Like my brother was like, why is this melon yellow? Yeah. I was like, listen, bro, it's, it's cause the seed is, you know, <laughs> like a lot of melons used to be yellow back in the day, but now we only want the seedless ones. And, you know, um, but I, I think like, um, one thing I'm excited about right now is like the fall season coming up. And it's like that idea that like, um, kind of what Bex was going back to is like, you, you can mess up a lot. It's like, there's always another beginning. Like there's always another moment to like learn and try again. And like, we have failures all the time and, um, you know, that are really hard and like sometimes make us cry because, uh, you know, we put a lot of work and time, like months. The farming is not just like, you know, you do something and you see the return in a week. You see the return three months later. You hope you see the return three months later. <laughs> um, and, you know, even though there's a lot of failures, it's like that, coming back the next day and knowing that you're going to be planting another seed or like starting another season or excited about a new crop. Like I love just thinking about like starting seeds and coming to the farm the next day and seeing them sprout. And it's like that euphoric feeling and it just experience, like it really humbles you. Um, and yeah, like Beck said, it's, it's possible for anybody to, do that in any small or big way. 
Um, I, would, I wouldn't say like, you know, not everyone needs to go start a production farm for sure. Like you don't need to make money doing this. You can do it because you enjoy it and like start a small garden in your backyard um, or yeah. whatever space you have. If you love basil and you buy basil, like the little basil plants from Trader Joe's, you can, you can grow your own basil. You can very well do it. And it just takes like a little bit of effort to kind of understand the growing season and all of that's online and you can talk to other people around you and it's it's re it's really possible i feel like there's just going back to the like what keeps us going like there's so much negativity around like farming and climate change and all this stuff and especially in our region you know because we're just like right there like in the thick of it um but it's it's going back to that thought process of like how, how can we shift that dynamic how can we shift that language how can we actually shift the way our climate is like going you know and um there's a lot of people who are from from here who will say they'll never leave louisiana like they'll even if we're like sinking going underwater whatever they'll never leave there's like that mentality um and i i would say like obviously like being forced to leave is a very real thing that we think about and talk about a lot, but it's kind of like, I don't want to get my home. Like, I don't want to give up my family and I don't want to like, it's such a, I feel so many beautiful things for this place. Like, and not just in farming, but like, you know, just in general. And I want my kids to grow up with that. Like, I want my family, I want that knowledge, that ancestral knowledge we passed down. And so just changing that, language around like instead of what are we losing is it how can we gain what can we gain like what does it look like to be joyful here and to live prosperous here and that's kind of like what keeps at least for me going and like going back to our names like it's a calling you know it's not not something you can really describe like it's not always a smart decision <laughs> it's not always gonna be like you're the easiest. not gonna make the most money and you're not gonna get the most sleep but you're going you're going to affect other people in a positive way and yourself and yourself yeah yeah